0: Without you. what your word says for us to abide in you. Pray that's our heart. As the song said, may it be all about you and not about us. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1, said there's a season for everything. For some of us, it's been a hard season. For some of us, it's a good season. Maybe it's the birth of a grandkid or the loss of a loved one. That's a season. But Paul said, in all things, give thanks. And that's the heart. Regardless of the season you find yourself in, we're grateful that you're here. We are grateful that you, you're here worshiping with us. We love you. This morning, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, would you turn around and greet someone? But before you do that, I'm going to give you something to say. Remember, God loves you, and God sees you. That's it. So turn to the person around you. God loves you. God sees you. God sees you. God loves you. God sees you. God loves you, God sees you, right? All right, introverts, you're okay, you'll survive. Yes, we're grateful you're here. We are so grateful that you're here. God loves you, God sees you. How much of you know that? Yeah, God loves you, God sees you. For announcements, uh, this coming week, uh, on Wednesday, Awana Got Talent. We get a chance to see our littles, uh, proclaim the gospel message, the talents that they have, that God has given them. It's a chance to showcase it. I have fun every time I'm over here, um, if Tony would allow me to be over here. But it's amazing. Um, It's a great opportunity for us as a church. Even if you don't have kids, a part of Awana's, still come over. Still come. It's at Wednesday uh 6, 6 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. This also, for another announcement, men's retreat is coming up at Arrowhead. We always look forward for our men getting together. So far, I think we have like 29 guys that's going to be together. Looking forward to an amazing weekend at Arrowhead. So this week, this weekend, we're looking forward to being together. There's nothing like a group of men praying with their hearts broken, praying for our families, praying for our church. Uh, volunteers are needed to help decorate the church for Easter. Uh, Monday, March the 18th, beginning at 5 p.m. Please RSVP to the office, to Carmen or, or uh, Leah. Also, uh, Maranatha's directory is uh, nearly ready. The paper copy, that is, is nearly ready. But if you have not seen what your profile looks like or anything like that at all, you need to get a hold of Michelle Nord. Uh, Her information is in the bulletin. She's somewhere around here, um, usually. Or Carmen, uh, contact the office so we can make sure that stuff is is correct and your number is not 911 um, because that might be trouble. So, also, Moms Fellowship for moms of young children, uh, having a, a kid-free time. Kid-free. Wow. That's amazing. Moms, get a chance to run away. Yeah. Yeah, kid-free time. And you know what it is to have littles just hanging on you. This is a season, like I said before. This is a season for everything. Some of us got empty nesters and wish that we have Little ones pulling out our pants. And for some moms, when would you get off? You know, when would you get off my pulling of my pants? So this is a season for moms without uh, your kids, a kid-free time. March the 10th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Another celebration. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a Valentine's, a Valentine's uh, get-together. How much of you were here? Yeah, 50, 54 couples? Wow, what an amazing time. Fifty-four couples get together to say, you know what, we believe in our marriage. We believe in our marriage, yeah, we, Pastor Aaron and I had nothing to do with that, okay? I'm just saying right now. Uh, but it was what's a beautiful moment of, of, of couples saying, you know what, before God, before these witnesses, it's for a lifelong commitment. So, 50, 50-some couples got together. Some of us look really nice because, like Oti, you know. Yeah. just so beautiful for us to be together as a, as, a, as a church. And I want to share something with you guys. When, when, when marriages are healthy within a church, ministry becomes easy. It's so beautiful to do ministry with healthy marriages. But we are intentional to say, you know what, this is important. So, and our youths uh, took care of all the littles, and they served, some of them dressed up, and it was a beautiful time as a church. But we want to invest in our marriages. And don't stop here, okay? Don't let this just be one, once for the year. Um, pen it in once a month. Take the lady out. Guys, I'm giving you some free advice here. Take the lady out. Maybe it is where you go make groceries and you just hang out in the parking lot at Culver's. I did that for a season. So, yes, invest in your marriages. So another thing uh, we have, um, as we go through the book of Acts, uh, this is our prayer calendar for the month of March. If you haven't gotten one, right out the door on your way out, or we'll get one to
1: you. So, Pastor Cody? Thanks, Andre. Wish I could dress as cool as you. Look at those shoes, man. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here, and what a unique weather we have, right? My whole life, living when I've lived in Wisconsin, a short time I lived in the Seattle area when I pastored out there, but and when I had to go down across the border to Illinois down there. But every time I live in Wisconsin, winter is winter. It's something that we love and enjoy. It's a reality that we have, but now this winter, it's the reality we didn't have, it seems like, but I am not complaining. But I want to talk about today, today is very, very important. The last two Sundays, we've covered a lot of data, we've been looking at going through the book of Acts, again, we're going through the book of Acts a year and a half, and what we're doing is the first chapter, and even into this second chapter, we're just kind of covering general things we're talking things at large and I keep saying we're going to talk about this in chapter 10 we'll talk about this in chapter 9 as we get to different aspects today we're going to deal with something very very important there is a reality even though we think we live in a time where there's a lot of realities that are for sure for certain that we will have snow and everything for a winter well that that reality wasn't happening this year There is a reality that we live in, as Christians, that we're going to look at here today that's very, very important for us. And the reality is, this is part two, as we've been looking at this aspect of Pentecost, the reality is this, for each of us that are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. I'm going to cover some of the passage here. And I want to take a lot of time, if I can, talking about application. Because it's one thing to hear about, yeah, we got the Holy Spirit. Spirit came in a different power than it was in the Old Testament. And all this, but if we don't have that reality and understanding of that potential within us. We miss out. Let me give you some examples that I had to deal with this week. When I'm so grateful that I have the reality of the Holy Spirit within me, each week—in fact, each day—it seems I'm working on the Word of God. I'm planning out. I already know where I'm going to be preaching in the next couple of weeks. I've got everything mapped out. I know you know what's going on. But each week or each day, I'm in the Word, thinking, preparing, and I desperately need to depend on. His guidance as I study His Word. If it was just up to me, it would we'd be in trouble. Wednesday, I needed the Holy Spirit for comfort. Wednesday was a variety of tears for me. Wednesday, we met at six in the morning. A handful of of officers and deputies. We met early in the morning to go over to the funeral in Burnsville. It was hard. It was unique for me to stand back. We got there two hours early, and we still, there was only standing room for us. And I remember standing in this huge, talk about mega church, that was a mega church. I remember just going, I know what you're going through. I needed the comfort of the Spirit. In fact, I cried the most during the procession as we had. Over a 1,000 vehicles lined up, and it was great to have most of our, uh, most of our departments represented it in that and just seeing people thanking law enforcement and firefighters because a medic was killed. I needed his comfort. Then I got home tired and I got a call about a homeless guy. I'm like, here we go. And sometimes i got to be a little firm or just figure out what's going on. But each time I go to these calls... I pause and I go, God, I need your guidance. I need your wisdom, and I need truly your wisdom. What, what do I need to say? How do I need to represent you in this? And I'll never for, like I do with homeless people. It seems every week, and I re- remember going up to the vehicle, and I just knew the Spirit was guiding me to just be just as compassionate as I could. And the door opened. their vehicle and this person wasn't playing the game, wasn't playing the system that we often have, but truly this person was broken and needed care. Said, let's get you some food. said here's some food you know let's let's go let's go to Quick Trip. So I said get whatever you want. So they grabbed a couple pieces and I said that's all? I said how about another piece of warm pizza? and just tears flowed from this person and i just knew that the spirit was working and i got to share a little bit with this person as we got to the vehicle this week i also needed the spirit in conviction of sin how many in this room are sinless didn't think so even this week i was like spirit of god work and shape in my life so i can be more like christ And this morning, every morning I wake up on Sundays, and I'm like, Lord, I need your power. I need your anointing. So before we begin looking into this passage, and again, if you feel like I'm cruising through these passages quickly, that's what we're going to have to do in the book of Acts, and I'm going to take a little bit more time with application today. Some of these topics we'll talk about at another time. So look at me. Today is very important. One of the greatest realities you truly have. It's not our weather. It's not all the things and the circumstances around us, because those come and go. It's the reality that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's for your benefit that I go. Because when he goes, what's going to happen? He'll give us another, a comforter, a counselor, one that will empower us to fight sin, because we need that, and some of you know the reality of that, to be guided by Him to do His work in this world. So if you feel broken, feel lonely, if this was a hard week, if this was a great week, Wherever you're at, if you're in Christ, the beauty is that we have the Holy Spirit with us. So before we begin, would you join me in prayer? God, I come to you and I know that this week has been a variety of things. I've had some great joys this week. Even after the funeral, we gathered together for a meal with the office, some of the officers and we, we laughed. We had a great time. I had a great time Saturday. Every day was great, but every day there was a hard time. And it was a great reality for me to pause and say, I'm dependent on you. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. This is not about me. In fact, right now I pray for one of my pastors in this area who sent me a text yesterday saying that he's got a massive cold, and didn't know how he's going to be able to preach, so I pray that you just empower him. And I love that in our weakness, we are more dependent on you. So help us, Lord, even when we're strong, to be reminded that we need you. So Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you show us the beauty of your work in our lives and this we pray in jesus name amen amen well grab your bibles go to acts chapter 2 again we are going through this series in the book of acts the witness of and every sunday it's going to be the witness of the church the witness of the apostles the witness of prayer the witness of god the father the witness of christ the witness of missions today is part two of the witness of the holy spirit As we go through this section here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 14 through 21. We got this event that happened where they were waiting. Jesus said, go and wait in Jerusalem. And then I will give you the the Holy Spirit. I will baptize you. I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. And they wait. And then it happens. We covered that last Sunday. And as they do this, they begin to speak in tongues. Because there's, there's a lot of people, there's over a hundred people around them. And then these people are like, how is it possible that these Gentiles, I'm sorry, these Galileans, they're not Gentiles, they're Jewish people, these, these people from Galilee, they don't know our languages, and they're speaking in our language. How is that possible? So they begin to speak some of the language of the nations that are represented there. And then it closes with, are are these guys drunk? So Peter begins here. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is verse 14. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So as we find out here in the book of Acts, if you could look at like almost Acts as two parts of this aspect, Peter, in the first part of Acts, he's the main spokesman up to like chapter 9. He's the main guy that's the leader and the spokesman of the apostles and what's happening with the church and all that. Then, nine and following, it becomes Paul. So at this time, Peter's the spokesman, and he answers the question as you look at the verse before. What does this mean? He corrects the wrong understanding that the believers were drunk. He's like, it's nine in the morning, but if this was Wisconsin, he'd probably have to say something different, right? I mean, that's just how it is. He corrects the wrong understanding, saying the joy that they have, the excitement... And this miraculous speaking in different languages must be understood and caused not by wine or not by drinking or not a hangover. This is caused by the Spirit of God. Then he explains. Let's look at verse 17 and following. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious Day of the Lord. And anyone, or and everyone who calls on my on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the Pentecost event has now happened. And these happenings are directly connected to so all that happened there, Peter's saying, guess what? This is connection with the prophecy in Joel chapter 2. And this event with the Holy Spirit is seen as a connection with in redemptive history as a fulfillment of what Joel talked about and the beginning of the last days as a spirit is now launched into a new era so what I want to do is I'm going to ask a couple of questions we're going to try to describe what these are and define some of this and then we to get to application so number one what is the fulfillment In the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, if you go to that, is a prophecy of the coming of the day of the Lord. And Joel's very strong here about this day of the Lord that's coming as judgment. It's a time coming as divine judgment on the nations. And often, and we'll talk more about fulfillment and and the promises of God in the future here, but most of it is there's, there's two aspects of it. What's happening right in the current situation of that prophet and the future aspect with the Messiah. Peter shows that the arrival of the Spirit is that fulfillment that has come. Not because of drinking or what's going on, what people thought. He explains more of this in the upcoming paragraph. So we're just covering the first paragraph and he describes more of this coming up here. And we're going to build this all up as we get to Easter. The role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and New Testament. What is fulfillment? We talked a little bit about that last week, and we're going to talk about it again this morning here. As we saw last week in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's work was not the same as the Holy Spirit works today. It was very different for them at that time. The work of the Holy Spirit was temporary. He would fill certain people, like we saw that passage. He would fill an artist to work, have special skills, being filled with the Spirit, to do His work, and the Spirit would leave. The Holy Spirit's work was temporary and selective, only on a few people. But even within the Old Testament, it begins kind of as a rumbling, and it gets louder through the prophets, there is this expectation and promise that the Holy Spirit would someday come permanently on God's people. We see this in Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 36, or Numbers 11, 29. This is a great one. Moses says this, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. So Moses wishes that, and now the Spirit has come to all God's people. In the New Testament, we see him working in the life of Jesus in a variety of ways. The Virgin Mary became pregnant as a direct work of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist, when he was in the womb, was filled momentarily with the Spirit. His parents had the empowerment of the Spirit for a short short time. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were filled with the Holy Spirit for a short time. It's a beautiful part of the birth of Christ that we have. Then we look at the public ministry of Jesus. It began with empowerment. An experience of the Holy Spirit not seen before. When He was baptized, He was baptized and the Spirit came as a dove. Then He was empowered to go. He was led by the Spirit to go in the wilderness where He was tempted by the enemy of our souls. He then returned to Galilee in power of the Spirit. So we see the Spirit working greatly in the life of Jesus. So here's what I wrote down. We see in his life, the life of Christ, that the Holy Spirit worked in the ministry of Jesus. His death, his resurrection, and then Jesus would soon, when you're looking through the Gospel side, he would soon baptize the believers in the Holy Spirit. One of the great thinkers of our time is J.I. Packer. Anybody ever hear of J.I. Packer? Few of you maybe have, he's one of the great theologians that we have. Here's what he wrote. I love this. Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel. No faith. No church. No Christianity in the world at all. The Holy Spirit is a part of all those aspects, empowering and working in those areas. So the Holy Spirit now. Mediates Christ's active presence as He empowers every Christian to be a witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth, and that's what we get in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Again, we're, we'll often be going to Acts chapter one, eight. It's, it's the key passage, the key verse, and it is through the Spirit that Christ is with them to the end of the age. If you recall Matthew twenty-eight, Jesus gives us this great commission. Go and make disciples, and I will be with you to the end of the age. How do we have that? The Spirit of Christ is within us. The day of Pentecost is a very significant time in the transition of the history of redemption. Remember, we asked, we, last week we asked four questions, and how do we understand Scripture? We did that even two weeks ago. We said, you know, they, they casted lots. They, they flipped a coin, in a sense, to determine which would replace Judas, Are we supposed to do that today? So some of the questions we asked, and one of the main questions is, where does this fit in God's plan of redemptive history? For Pentecost, it's a very significant transition time in the history of redemption. This was a special day that the Holy Spirit began to act among God's people with new covenant power not like the old covenant now we live in the new covenant and pentecost is this special day that we focus on it's interesting a little side note we maranatha we're not a liturgical church if so i don't think i'd like to dress in robes and all the stuff that they wear i mean i even got jeans on today but in most liturgical churches they cover a calendar year within the church and they even have a special day called pentecost sunday We don't do that. We don't follow the church calendar per se. Obviously we do when it comes to Good Friday and Easter and Christmas. Maybe we should be focusing more on what happened at Pentecost. It's this special day. And the point of transition between the old covenant work of the Holy Spirit and now the new covenant work of the Holy Spirit and His ministry. Pentecost is this special event. It's the birthday of the church, so maybe in the next couple years we'll try to celebrate on Pentecost Sunday that event. Here's a question. Why don't we see all these things happening every time the Holy Spirit works in the New Testament? Now if you recall, there there were visible signs and audible signs. There were flames of fire above them looking like tongues. There was wind rushing all around. And then they began to speak in different languages to the people all around them. Why don't we see those things every time the Holy Spirit, in the book of Acts, or even now? The disciples on that day were living at this transition time period of the covenant work of the Holy Spirit. And we don't see this pattern again in the book of Acts. We don't, every time the Spirit comes, we don't have tons of wind, tongues of fire. We, don't have, we have different aspects of it, but it's not, not always like this grand scale. We don't see this pattern again. And I don't see this to be a normative pattern for us. We are not living at that transitional, important, this is the first time the Holy Spirit now dwells within them at all times. It's not a normative pattern for us. Because we're not living in that specific transition time from the Old Testament to the New Testament work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's a pattern. In the New Testament, we don't see that at all and for our lives. It's kind of like my wedding day. My wedding day was a special day. Those who are married, do you still remember that day? I hope so. Okay, yeah. That was like the grand day. That was like one of the most important days of my marriage. was the wedding day. Of course it was. It was a special critical event in my marriage. I moved from being single, I'm not gonna mingle, till stay away, every girl. I'm taken, right? I belong to Amber. It was a critical event in my life. I don't do all the ceremonial and celebratory things we did on our wedding day. I wish we did. We had for our I'm glad I married up. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah, I did. And my, my in-laws, just they, they put tons of money into it, more than I can even imagine. We had smoked salmon at our reception. And I remember going, can I just sit here and just eat and eat? And I don't, do all, you know, I don't have wedding cakes every day to celebrate my wedding. Here's what I wrote down. I don't live in the pattern of that day. Instead, I live in the promise of that day. Do you get that? <clears throat> so you might wonder... Why don't we have all those big things on Pentecost? Well, that was that special day to show everyone this is the beginning of the church. Now the Holy Spirit is with the believers. We don't live in the pattern of that day. Instead, we are to live in the promise of that day. God's promises, His plan, His purpose is fulfilled. It is shown and revealed in Scripture. I love how He goes... As God said back in Joel chapter 2, this is a fulfillment of it. It shows that God keeps his promises. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter begins by saying, This is the last days. Take a look at that. These are the last days. He also adds, God said, to underscore that this is totally God's plan. So, what are the last days? Are we living right now in the last days? Is Jesus coming back tomorrow? Is this the last day? Again, we'll talk more about this and more. we'll use some big words like the eschaton and all these kind of things, what what, what the, the last days are about. The last days is a time period that began with the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost and will end with the return of Christ. Again, many of the prophets speak of this. Jeremiah 31, talks about there will be a time. This is the last days when the Spirit comes. This is the inauguration, Pentecost here, is the inauguration of the last days. So we are living in the last days, although it's not capital last days, the end of the end. We're living in the last days. In the unfolding drama of salvation history, we see many significant time periods. We are currently living in the last days that will culminate in a time, period, when the final events of Christ's return will come. That's His second coming. And again, we'll talk more about that as we go through the book of Acts. So we are living in the last days, but I don't know if it's the last of the last days yet. Another question. What is the significance of these signs? God had in the Old Testament revealed Himself in a variety of ways, as we saw last week. And sometimes, they're manifested in different ways. Here, we see the big picture that we'll cover more biblically as we go through this, as we go through... Yeah, later on, we'll talk about prophecy. We'll talk about these things. We'll talk about dreams and visions. So in the Joel passage, he says, guess what? There'll be dreams, there'll be prophecies, there'll be visions... So what's the significance of these signs? Prophecies here in this specific passage were in the form of different languages. Visions will show up throughout the book of Acts and they will guide the apostles at certain times. They'll need to know what to do and God will give them visions and we'll cover more of that when we get to those passages. Dreams. How many have dreams? Anybody ever have a dream? We all have dreams. My dreams are more like action movies. And I wake up and go, oh, that was great. So what are dreams in Scripture? These are especially common in the Old Testament. Ninety times the word dreams show up in the Old Testament. Often, the prophets were given dreams, visions, special way that God was conveying a message to them. I find it interesting that the word dream only shows up three times in the New Testament. Once in the Gospels, twice in Acts. One time here, and after that, one more time, and that's it. So we will talk more about what those are when we get to that. The main point of these signs, dreams, visions, prophecies, is that the outpouring of the Spirit will affect every age group in Israel. Children, youth, elderly, age, gender, social rank, or race, is not a barrier to the Holy Spirit. The last point before I get to application. What are the signs and wonders connected with that glorious day? <clears throat> so it's interesting when people look at this passage, they'll look at Joel chapter 2 and go, okay, there's a lot of big words here that are happening. The Spirit's going to come and fill everyone. What does it mean by everyone? Everyone. All these different prophecies, visions, and dreams. What does that mean? Again, I'm not trying to avoid that. We'll deal with that when they show up later in the book of Acts. And then there's wonders from heaven and above. When did this happen? What's going on here? And these wonders in heaven and above are the coming of the Spirit from heaven. And the signs on earth below can be seen here, even with wind, fire. We have all these things and the different things spoken. We see that this is happening. And a lot of people go, what is this, did that all happen here at the day of Pentecost? There's a couple ways people view this, and I mentioned this last week. It's always good to look at how other Christians view different things. Some people say that these events spoken about in Joel, all didn't happen on Pentecost, like the sun wasn't darkened, there wasn't you know, all this dark and gloomy stuff. Some people say, well, that happened when Jesus died, which some of that did happen. Or some people say, well, this was kind of fulfilled because there was wind, which is like a storm, and terrible things happening. I would say this, that the last days have been launched and have already began, but they have not yet come to fulfillment completely. And they will at the second coming of Christ. A future and fuller fulfillment of apocalyptic times because these things mentioned at the end this is truly not happening here we see very intense words coming take a look at some of them this cosmic phenomenon that's that's being described here indicate the final consummation of the earth everything's going to happen it's going to be destroyed there's some major things here blood fire bills of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness the moon turned to blood these are all signs of judgment And most biblical scholars would say these are saved for the last days of the period we're living in last time. Or, take a look at the final part here the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Here, I believe clearly this is the second coming. Not all of this has been fulfilled yet. And again, we'll talk about this as we deal with different aspects of the Lord coming back at a different time. Peter sees this all happening as a result of fulfillment. And the need for repentance. So he says, so we've got this event. The Holy Spirit comes, fills the people. And Peter's primary thing is this <clears throat> this is fulfillment. Look at Joel chapter 2, but look at the last verse we're looking at. It's also an aspect of a need for repentance. Those who repent will not have to face the wrath of God and the judgment of God. That is coming. Thus, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's what this passage is about. Let me now get to application. Got plenty of time here. What is the importance of having the Holy Spirit like this? Why is it important to have the Holy Spirit? I ended with this last week. We live. I believe, in the greatest time of redemptive history. As much as I would have liked to see the children of Israel see the waters park and walk across the dry. Wouldn't that be amazing? As much I would like to see all the miraculous things in the Old Testament, I'll pass up on those. And when it comes to the Gospels, the one day I wish, if I could live any day in the Bible times, it would be when Jesus walked with the to on the road to Emmaus unfolding the Old Testament and the promises of God that is powerful but we live in the most I believe in the greatest time period of redemptive history this side of the Old Testament this side of the ascension this side of Pentecost why because we have the greatest gift the Holy Spirit We live in the spiritual reality that comes to all Christians given at salvation. I like Titus 3.6 says, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, unlike the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we all have the Holy Spirit. But again, the question is this, what is the importance of having the Holy Spirit like this? Let me give you a few thoughts of application. Number one, Power and presence for all God's people. Notice in the middle of this it says, He will pour His Spirit on all flesh. And you think, okay, does that mean everyone now gets the Holy Spirit? But if you realize it's connected also with the end of it, all who call upon the name of the Lord, it doesn't mean that every human will get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's already clear from the Old Testament quotation that all who call upon the name of the Lord, the promised Holy Spirit belongs to them. The Spirit will fill every gender, every age, every social rank or race who turn to Christ. It's not limited just to the children of Israel. It's not limited just to the priests who were involved with it. It's not just limited to a certain group of people. Now, all who belong to Christ they get the Holy Spirit. You may not be wealthy, you may not be skilled in the world's eyes. In fact, the lowest group at this time period were servants and women. That's where the ones who were looked down on. I love how this passage says, guess what? The Holy Spirit, when it comes to salvation, they receive it. When it comes to salvation, the Holy Spirit, equality is the name of the game. When it comes to salvation, it's not, well, I wasn't an Israelite, so I don't get the Holy Spirit. Well, I wasn't a male, I'm a woman, so I'm the lowest in society. Well, I'm a servant, a slave, so I don't even get it. No. Equality is the name of the game. The Holy Spirit is for all of God's people. And with this, what God calls you to do, you will be able to do His work because He dwells in you. Even if it seems like a difficult area, the Spirit empowers you with power for service. So power and presence for all of God's people. Number two, the Holy Spirit is always with us. He is present here right now. The Spirit has baptized all believers into one body. And we are infused with the Spirit. We looked at this last week. He is always with us. We don't need to get the Holy Spirit here. We don't have to conjure up cool worship and have a cool pr- like worship experience and go, oh, now the Holy Spirit's here. No, the Holy Spirit's with you, even when you were sleeping. You can welcome the Holy Spirit since He is here, but not welcome Him as in, you're out there, Holy Spirit, welcome, come on in. No, we can welcome Him because He's already with us. We don't need to have, this is very important, a focused pursuit of the presence of the Holy Spirit as in trying to get the Holy Spirit here. Well, I need to have cool worship experience. I need to have a sinless life. I need to do all these different works and different things to get the presence here and pursue Him that way. We already have Him. We do need to have a focus on the potential That we currently have with him thus we should not grieve the spirit we should not quench the spirit we should not neglect the spirit and we'll talk about that more as we go through the book of acts his sanctifying work in our life is here always he is working within his children even when we don't sense his presence there's times when i'm like god are you even with me right now I need to be reminded of this great truth that he is with us at all times. The church has received new empowering witness and ministry. Now the church, now believers, now those who are God's people will have a greater power, a greater work to do than they did in the past, even in the Old Testament, or even when they were walking with Christ. They have more effectiveness in their witness and ministry because when Christ was there, He was there by you know in one. Now the Holy Spirit fills everyone. Acts chapter one eight, Ephesians four eight, Ephesians four eleven and thirteen, and we'll talk more about that in the future. A few more things here: believers have a greater power over victory or the influence of sin in their lives. here's the deal. The effects of sin are always around us. And they can destroy a life. And some of you know that. Some of you know the entrapments of sin, the entrapments of addictions, the entrapments of lust, the entrapments of things in our lives. You cannot do it on your own. Oh, I see people all the time trying to fight sin on their own, and they just fail. Got a lot of different programs that can help people and all that, but without the Holy Spirit, there's no way you're going to do it. Romans chapter six and Romans chapter eight talk about the power of Christ's resurrection work that is within us to enable us to fight against sin. Galatians two twenty, Philippians three ten. We have the power for victory over Satan, over sin. 2 Corinthians 10, Ephesians 1, 1 John 4, 4, there's so many Bible verses that talk about this. To kick sin in your life is to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe there's someone in this room that you struggle with something. Here's a line we talked about year, years ago when we looked through Romans chapter 8. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Right? Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And the only way you can kill, mortify, it says in Romans 8, sin is by the power of the Spirit. The second to last one is this the Holy Spirit gives gifts for ministry to all believers. Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those are the main verses that talk about all the different gifts that the Holy Spirit equips us as believers to use. And there's a variety of gifts, and we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about, in the future, all the different gifts that we have. Even some of the what some people call the miraculous gifts. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, what is all that? We'll talk about that. But know this. Paul, when he talks about that, and when we see this in the book of Acts... <clears throat> The ones to pursue the most are the ones that build up the church. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, his first lines are, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. How many of you are desiring spiritual gifts? We'll take time in the future to talk about this, but we have spiritual gifts that God empowers us, gives us. And these gifts are mainly for the building up and the benefit of the church. My last thought is this, God's message demands a response. Again, we got this special moment in Pentecost, in the Old Old Testament time period, they look forward to it, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in this great, significant time, and people are like, what is going on here? And Peter says, whoa, 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 it's not because they're drunk. It's because it's number 1 fulfillment of scripture. And because it's fulfillment of scripture, you must respond. Take a look at the last verse that we're looking at. Those who call upon the name of the Lord they'll be saved. We learn that the only way to receive the holy the promised holy spirit is to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Believe in him. The key to all of this that's happening is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they're the ones who are saved. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? It means to turn from your wickedness, to turn from all other hopes that you can kind of brush up and look all nice on the inside to say, God, look, you can accept me. That doesn't make it. Because on the inside, we're rotten, our hearts are wicked. We need the work of Christ. Salvation by working for it, it's not going to happen. Turn to Jesus. This means repent and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's from Romans chapter 10. The reward is eternal spiritual salvation. To call on the name of the Lord is to trust Him alone for salvation, not yourself. Showing that faith is a commitment to follow Him and His way. So I'll end with this. You want to fight sin? You want to see great things in your life? You want to see the powerful work of the Holy Spirit? I do too. But it all begins, first, You must belong to Him. He will pour His Spirit on all flesh, all who confess His name, all who trust in Him. So I encourage you, if you've never turned to Christ, I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. Trust in Him alone for salvation. And it's because the power of the Spirit works within us. At this time, I'm going to have Pastor Tony come up and share a little bit from one of our heroes J.I. Packer.
2: When you were a child, did you ever hope to receive a particular gift, maybe for a birthday or Christmas, but instead you ended up getting something that was much less exciting for you? Maybe hoping to get a toy or a video game, but instead grandma got you some new socks or, you know, a new pair of underwear for your birthday? Um, here's another question. How about this? I know at least one person in our church family, back in that area, um, has driven a bread truck, but have any of you ever been run over by a bread truck? Well, the man whose life that we're looking at today has experienced both of these things, and they marked his life in particular ways. So James Ennell Packer, I didn't even know that that was actually his first to. Uh, first part of his name was James Annell. I just only knew him as as J.I. Packer. That's how he's most commonly known. But he was born on July 22nd, 1926 in the village of Twinning in the north of Gloucestershire, England. I don't even know how to pronounce that. But I think I have a little map up there. When I looked that up on the map, it actually it's not real far from Birmingham, um, England, where some of us went to a few years ago to visit some of our missionaries and partner with them there. Um, he was the firstborn child of James and Dorothy Packer. His only sibling, Margaret, was born in 1929. The Packers, and when I say the Packers, I mean the family in England, not the football team in Wisconsin, they were a lower middle class family with a nominal Anglican faith, faithfully attending nearby St. Catherine's Church, but never talking about the things of God or even praying before meals. And it was in September of 1933, at the age of seven, Young Packer was chased by a bully at junior school out into the street and violently collided with a passing bread van, resulting in brain surgery, a three-week hospital stay, and then a six-month recuperation at home, away from school. He had suffered a depressed compound fracture of the frontal bone on the right side of his forehead, and he later compared it to the way the top of an eggshell is knocked in when you hit it with an egg, hit an egg with a spoon. And a a skilled surgeon at local hospital was able to remove bits of the broken bone. Um, The doctor required him to wear a black protective aluminum plate over his injury, held in place by an elastic band. He was forbidden from playing any sports, causing the young loner to further confine himself to things like reading and writing. And he wore this protective plate for the next eight years. And at the age of 15, he refused to wear it again. I don't blame him. Can like you imagine the additional bullying you would wearing a metal plate with the elastic band holding it on your head? So that's something that you can only imagine, like how much an experience like that can mark someone and, and shape them. Um, but as it said, like he spent a lot of time reading and writing, and that kind of set a trajectory for his future. On the morning of his 11th birthday, 1937, Packer awoke, hoping to find a bicycle waiting for him a traditional coming-of-age gift for which he had dropped hints. Apparently, the hints were not uh, received correctly by his parents. But his parents, instead, they gave him an old Oliver typewriter in excellent condition. And it's interesting because his biographer, Alistair McGrath, wrote, or he notes in the, the spiritual lesson from this, he said, "...it is not what Packer had asked for. Nevertheless, it proved to be what he needed." His best present and the most treasured possession of his boyhood. So he became a prolific writer, and so that typewriter uh, kind of set the trajectory for that in his life. At age 18, on October 22, 1944, Packer attended a Sunday evening evangelistic sermon at St. Aldate's Church. An elderly Anglican parson gave the address. The biblical exposition left Packer bored. That's what the youth say sometimes on Wednesday night. Um, In youth group here, the youth pastor sometimes is boring. But in the second half, the pastor recounted how at boys' camp, he had been challenged as to whether he was really a Christian. Packer recognized himself in the story and realized he did not know Christ. Following the invitation, which concluded with the singing of Just As I Am, Packer gave his life to Christ Interestingly, he was just yards away from where 18th-century evangelist George Whitfield had converted in 1735. One of the themes in his writings was communion with God, and he often contrasted the spirituality of the Puritans with contemporary evangelicals, calling the latter, calling evangelicals to imitate the Puritans, especially when it came to communion with God. Here's a few things that he said related to that. He said when Christians meet, they talk to each other about their Christian work and Christian interests, their Christian acquaintances, the state of the churches, and the problems of theology. But rarely of their daily experience of God. Tonight, uh, there's a group of youth. We call it the Deep Discipleship Group. Um, We're getting together, um, get together, try to get together every couple of weeks, and we're trying to go deep in discipleship with that group of students, and that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight. When we gather, we want to talk about how have you experienced God recently? How have you been communing with him? Another thing he said related to this topic is that modern Christian books and magazines contain much about Christian doctrine, Christian standards, problems of Christian conduct, techniques of Christian service but little about the inner realities of fellowship with God. He said, Our sermons contain much sound doctrine, but little relating to the converse between the soul and the Savior. We do not spend much time alone or together in dwelling on the wonder of the fact that God and sinners have communion at all. No, we just take that for granted and give our minds to other matters. And thus we make it plain that communion with God is a small thing to us. J.I. Packer wrote many books, many articles. I counted over 50 in in one list that I was looking at. Um, He traveled and lectured broadly. He served as editor on the English Standard Version of the Bible, which is one of my favorites, particularly when I'm studying, um, like in preparation for teaching or preaching. Um, It's a little more literal uh, translation of the Bible. And so he was a key editor in that, which is really, really interesting. Um, But his life was not without conflict. And this is something that actually stood out to me as I was kind of reading more um, in preparation for sharing today about his life. Um, he was mentored, and, and he also joined in ministry together with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones for many years, actually. But sadly, later in life, they had a theological conflict, and they parted ways um, J.I. Packer still spoke very highly of Lloyd-Jones, but they, they no longer served in ministry together, and some of the events that they hosted together, they just, they stopped doing those things, and we see, you know, this theme of conflict, and we will see it later in Acts as well, right, in Paul's ministry, and that's something that Um, I care a lot about helping resolve conflict. And and so that just stood out to me as, uh, you know, like, he's not perfect. None of these heroes in the faith that we're highlighting in this series are perfect. They have their shortcomings. They have their conflicts. Um, And so in a a weird way, we can be encouraged too when we deal with conflict in our own lives, in our own families, um, in our churches. And and so, um, but he pressed on. He continued trying to, to, you know, to reconcile those differences. And uh, and, and he still, like I said, spoke very highly of Lloyd-Jones later in life. Uh, J.I. Packer went on to be with the Lord on July 17, 2020. Um, So some of the people we're looking at lived many, many years ago and died many years ago, but this was only four years ago where he passed away. He was 93 years old. Packer was a lifelong Anglican churchman who spent the first half of his life in England, the second half in Canada, but he was perhaps most popular in the United States. He's widely recognized as one of the most influential theological popularizers of the 20th century, and throughout his nearly 70 years of writing and ministry, he stressed the importance of knowing and praying to and communion with the triune God. He called for the church to take holiness and repentance seriously by walking in the Spirit, I've heard about that today, he, and uh, fighting against indwelling sin. He defended biblical authority and championed the cause of disciple-making catechesis, and he, int- he reintroduced... "...multiple generations to his beloved Puritan forebears, whom he regarded as the redwoods of the Christian faith. He saw himself as a voice that called people back to old paths of truth and wisdom. His entire life was spent resisting the idea that, the, quote, "...the newer is the truer, only what is recent is decent, every shift of ground is a step forward, and every latest word must be hailed as the last word on the subject." Uh, for those of you who love the old rich hymns, um, you would resonate with what he calling people back to the, the truths of old that still um, stand very strong today. Uh, two book recommendations that I would make among his large list of books. The first is Knowing God. A quote from that that I think I'll have up on the screen here says, What then does the activity of Knowing God involve? Holding together the various elements involved in this relationship as we have sketched it out, we must say that knowing God involves, first, listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it in application to oneself. Second, noting God's nature and character as his word and works reveal it. Third, accepting his invitations and doing what he commands. Fourth, recognizing and rejoicing In the love that he has shown, in thus approaching you and drawing you into this divine fellowship. So that's a quote from Knowing God. There's a hundred more in there that could have shared with you. And then a second book recommendation of his is A Quest for Godliness. This is one that Pastor Cody introduced me to. a Quest for Godliness, the Puritan Vision of the Christian Life. And a quote from that book is this. It says, The healthy Christian is not necessarily the extrovert, exuberant Christian, but the Christian who has a sense of God's presence stamped deep on his soul, who trembles at God's word, who lets it dwell in him richly by constant meditation upon it, and who tests and reforms his, daily, his life daily in response to it. And some closing comments about J.I. Packer. In 2015, while filming a short documentary on Packer for Crossway, it came time for a final question. As the the writer, and a lot of this that I'm sharing with you is from an article by at the Gospel Coalition. And so if you want to read, it's a very long article, um, but very fascinating uh, too. So you could check that out on the Gospel Coalition website. Um, but the, the writer, um, Justin Taylor, he says, I was off camera and I asked... Um, J.I. Packer, how he might want to be remembered someday when he was gone. He paused in his characteristic way before answering any question, no matter how routine, and responded. As I look back on the life I have lived, I would like to be remembered as a voice, a voice that focused on the authority of the Bible, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the wonder of his substitutionary sacrifice and atonement for our sins. I would like to be remembered as a voice calling Christian people to holiness and challenging lapses in Christian moral standards. I should like to be remembered as someone who was always courteous in controversy, but without compromise. I ask you to thank God with me for the way that he has led me, and I wish, hope, pray that you will enjoy the same clear leading from him and the same help in doing the tasks that he sets you and I have enjoyed. That's a little snippet from J.I. Packer.
1: Tony, yeah, I would encourage you. His most famous book there is called Knowing God. If you've never, how many have heard of Knowing God before? If you've, okay, yeah, get that book. The other one, A Quest for Godliness, it's, that's a deep one. But get Knowing God. wrote this down. You need someone who understands, right? I noticed yesterday it was a very significant day for me. It was a great day. I was on a date with my wife the night before, which I included a bunch of other stuff. That's what we do. You know how it is, you know. On the way home, I just got not grumpy, but something was wrong. Wasn't yesterday beautiful outright? I'm like, man, I could be out flying a kite or doing whatever, you know. I was just. Quiet, wasn't even talking to Amber, and you know, she's reading her book, and I just something was wrong. And I just, I was feeling like, what is wrong? Then when I passed Chippewa Falls, I realized, oh, it's a Saturday, beautiful spring day, just like it was last year, April 8th, one of the worst days of my life when Hunter and Emily were killed. And I realized, Saturdays in spring, when it's nice like this, they're going to be hard for me. I don't, I don't know why. They're just hard. And I realized, I'm so glad I was with my wife. I got to go home, and I was bummed that two of my kids were out running around. I was like, oh, I just want to be with my family, which was good. But then I realized, I also need. They, they, they're my family, but they don't understand what I'm going through. So I needed to be with someone who understood. So I called up someone who was on patrol. I said, hey, let's hang out. And we talked. We understood what this day was like. Even greater is Christ. He understands our struggles, our weaknesses, and He walks with you through His Spirit. So I encourage you, wherever you are in your journey in life, cling to Christ. He is with you. He walks with you. And His Spirit is one of the greatest realities that we have today. Amen? He'll strengthen you. He'll comfort you. Oh, He'll convict you so you can be more like Christ. The worship team, the two of them, well, two and a half of them. Is your daughter coming? Okay, that was beautiful to see your daughter with you. We're going to end with one song. She's coming, awesome. Would you stand with us as we sing one song? And here's what I want to do is this. When we're done with the song, we're going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to send you off. If I could have Barry, Stan, and Jake, if you guys could stay up here to pray with people if they want prayer, is that fine? Because I'm going to go in the back and just see people as some people scurry out. That's great too. But if you need prayer, we would love to pray for you. So let's join in our last song here.